Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Great to have you with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, crazy martinis for you today. All of it brought to you by Stamps.com. All you have to do is go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and then type in all one word, Three Martini. Uh, They'll get you a four-week trial, free postage, digital scale, no commitment. Nothing could be better as you head into the the holiday season with all those packages and and Christmas cards to send. So, uh, Jim, we kind of already knew what the Good Martini was going to be today uh, as early as yesterday because uh, yesterday's Good Martini was that it was confirmation day for Amy Coney Barrett. We uh, accurately predicted the vote, uh, which is not exactly a great achievement, but we'll still take it. 52 to 48, Susan Collins Uh, The Republican from Maine, the only one who did not vote in the party line, but Republicans did not need her. Uh, Mike Pence did not show up for the vote or the swearing in, uh, as far as I could tell. Uh, Chuck Grassley, the president pro tem, handled the duties in the Senate. And then, of course, they had the swearing in. Uh, Clarence Thomas, the longest serving justice on the Supreme Court, which means you and I are now old. Uh, doing the honors, and that was a great moment for conservatives as well. And Amy Cody Barrett's already on the job today. Uh, Democrats, as we'll talk about more in the crazy martini, are howling mad about the process, about someone like Amy Cody Barrett replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But I think Mitch McConnell, while channeling a little bit of Ben Shapiro, said it pretty well last night in his final comments on the Senate floor uh, that uh, Republicans did what the Constitution requires. Our Democratic colleagues keep repeating the word illegitimate as if repetition would make it true? If you just say it often enough, does it make it true? I don't think so. We're a constitutional republic. Legitimacy does not flow from their feelings. You know? Legitimacy is not the result of how they feel about it. You know, you can't win them all, and elections have consequences. And what this administration and this Republican Senate has done is exercise the power that was given to us by the American people in a manner that is entirely within the rules of the Senate and the Constitution of the United States. So, Jim, you didn't exactly say facts don't care about your feelings, but it was pretty darn close there. Uh, What do you make of uh, Republicans getting this done before the election and getting another conservative on the Supreme Court. And by conservative, we mean one that's not going to legislate from the bench and, you know, thinks that the founders knew what they were talking about in the Constitution. You know, Greg, Amy Coney Barrett has provided the good martini for a lot of days these past couple weeks and entirely deservedly so in the minds of conservatives. This is more or less how the entire process is supposed to work. Uh, When there is an opening, the you know, president should look for the best candidate available. I know that uh, Barbara Lagoa had some fans, and there are obviously lots of good judges out there. But there is you know, almost a hunger amongst conservative groups saying that, yes, this is precisely the kind of person you want to have on the Supreme Court. And I think we saw through the entire hearing process that this was somebody who knew the law backwards and forwards, who uh, had you know, all the right kind of training and clerkships, who had already amassed a uh, considerable record on the bench. And look, let's face it, because we've ended up with this mentality of lifetime appointments to the court. I was discussing this with someone the other day, and I realized that the only two jobs you have for the rest of your life these days are Supreme Court justices and popes. 
Even Benedict was like, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm stepping down. So maybe it's only Supreme Court justices now. We can argue about whether that's a good idea. We can argue about whether term limits are there. But because of this, this means that you can be one of the nine most powerful people in deciding which laws are, allowed, are considered constitutional and which ones are not well into your 70s and your 80s and I guess theoretically into your 90s. And, you know, Ginsburg had gotten up there. And we'll talk about this a bit more in the third martini. But, you know, one of the reasons there was so much... I think emotional uh, intensity around this fight was, you know, for years, Democrats have been saying to themselves, oh God, what do we do if Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies? Oh God, she's getting up there in years. Oh my God, she fell, is she doing okay? Oh my goodness, how's her cancer treatments going? You know, ultimately it was almost like the state of a monarch. It was almost like the state of a Pope, this deathbed sense of, of you know, are they alive, are they dead? And not believing that so much hung in the balance of whether one person in government was alive or, or dead. Um, this isn't really the way the founding fathers wanted this to be. They, this is, if they wanted a monarchy, they could have had a monarchy. Um, and we ended up in a situation where you have very old people on the Supreme Court and everybody wondering if they die during the wrong time, so to speak, if they die when the presidency is of the different party, if they die of when the Senate is controlled by the other party, then they may be replaced by somebody with a very different uh, judicial philosophy. That is what happened here. As my colleague Michael Brennan Doherty observed, Ruth Bader Ginsburg replaced Wizard White. Wizard White was a uh, voted against Roe versus Wade. So there is nobody's idea of this is their, you know, this is her seat, but this is somebody else's seat. This was the argument I think Barack Obama put forth when uh, Alito was the replacement for Sandra Day O'Connor. He, he wasn't keeping the balance of the court. Conservatives, admittedly, would say they don't want a balance to the court, but in their minds, they're not, you know, pushing the law in one particular direction. Conservatives have reasonable faith, heck, maybe too much faith, that they can get the things that they want through the legislative process. They believe that the public generally supports them. They believe that with the right messaging and the right arguments, they'll be persuaded for any issues that they're not persuaded by yet. And then with through the control of the legislature and through control of the executive branch, you'll be able to pass the things you want. They don't really want to enact sweeping changes to American society through the use of the courts. That's what the left wants. The left wants to do Roe versus Wade and say, no, no, you can't have state laws regulating abortion. We have decided up our, the nine of us have decided, or at least actually a slim majority of the nine of us, maybe just five of us have decided this is what the law of the land has to be. That's more or less what happened with the gay marriage here. In the eyes of conservatives, everything we saw over the last six weeks, not only is consistent with the constitution, not only fully within the powers of the presidency and fully within the powers of the Senate, this is the way things are supposed to operate. And if it really upsets, you know, folks on the left so much, and they think, oh, it's so unfair that so many, you know, justices of the last eight, you know, the last 18 justices, how many were nominated and confirmed by Republicans? First of all, remember, you guys got sooner. <laughs> you guys got a bunch of, of, of justices that did not turn out to be strict constructionist or originalist or vote the way Republicans wanted them to vote. That, you know, that's, that's basically been, uh, so the idea, you'd think based on this, oh, Republicans have nominated so many of these justices that the, the, the Supreme Court decisions over the last 30 years would be endlessly marching to the right. And I think most conservatives would say, no, it really hasn't been like that. We've won some, particularly on things like the Second Amendment. We've lost some on things like gay marriage and on abortion restrictions. We now have what is perceived to be a six to three conservative majority. I think enough people have seen decisions by John Roberts and even in some cases, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh that have not necessarily gone that way. I think for, for Democrats who are panicked that the Supreme Court is going to reject all of the Biden administration's initiatives. 
guys, if you can't write a law that it's seen as constitutional by the likes of John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch, then you're probably doing something wrong. They are not the most, you know, uh, frothing at the mouth ideologues you're ever going to meet. So in a way, you know, you know, conservatives are celebrating today, liberals are in a panic, but it really just kind of shook out the way it was supposed to under the Constitution. And that, I would argue, is the true good martini of the day. It is a true good martini. And Mitch McConnell said uh, in the hallways yesterday, look, if the roles had been reversed in both of these situations, meaning when Republicans refused to uh, go through the process with Merrick Garland 2016, if there had been a Republican president and a liberal justice died with a Democratic Senate majority, the same thing would have happened. And the same thing would have happened this time. They would have plowed it through this close to an election. Everything would have been exactly the same. And uh, you possibly would have heard the exact same complaints from the other side. Uh, The other thing, Jim, though, and I think the jury is uh, still out on this since all three of these uh, justices nominated by Trump have been on there for such a short period of time. We'll see how they do uh, in the years to come. But Republicans, even though they've had the vast majority of uh, Supreme Court nominations in the past 60 years or so, um, haven't done a great job. I mean, Eisenhower appointed five members of the Warren Court they stunk from a constitutional conservative uh, perspective. Uh, Richard Nixon appointed Harry Blackman, the author of Roe v. Wade. Uh, he also had uh, Lewis Powell, who was not exactly a staunch conservative. Uh, Reagan uh, with O'Connor, not uh, super far left, but uh, not exactly a, a conservative. Uh, he was down to his third choice with Kennedy. Uh, he originally wanted Bork. That didn't go that great. George Bush Sr., had uh, Souter. And like you said, John Roberts has been unpredictable. I wouldn't call him liberal, but. Uh, certainly unpredictable. So if these three justices actually pan out the way, uh, you know, folks like us want them to, this is going to be the most successful four years of Supreme Court nominations easily in our lifetime and possibly in anyone's memory. You know, I I can see people who yearn for the days of the 98 to nothing style Senate confirmation votes. And it'd be nice to go back to that. It would be nice to not have to treat every Supreme Court nomination is the end of the world. But as long as the Supreme Court plays this role in our system, it's going to be that way. And you can't expect one side to simply disarm and accept the fact that one side will play hardball, Brett Kavanaugh, and and expect the other side not to play hardball on the other side. Yes. Who was it uh, saying last night that it's time for the uh, the Democrats to play hardball? Was it AOC? We'll get to yes. that. We'll, yeah. we'll, get to, we'll get to all of that in the crazy martini. But uh, in the meantime, uh, let's talk about how even though we're less than a week away, well, it's actually exactly one week away from Election Day, we're also now, uh, was this October 27th? We're less than two months away from Christmas. So you got to start thinking about what you're going to get, folks. And with Probably fewer people traveling uh, this year for the holidays are going to be mailing more stuff. And that means uh, the post office is going to be busy and you just don't have time for that. And you don't need to go there. Stamps.com brings the post office and now UPS shipping right to your computer. You can mail and ship anything from the convenience of your home or office. That's because with Stamps.com, anything you can do at the post office, anything you can do there, you can now do with just a few clicks. Plus, Stamps.com saves you money with deep discounts you couldn't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business. Whether you're a small business that's sending out invoices, an online seller fulfilling orders during this record-setting holiday season, or even a giant warehouse sending out thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. 
You simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's just that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 cents off of every first-class stamp and up to 40% off of priority mail and up to 62% off of UPS shipping rates. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder that more than 900,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. So for your business needs uh, with mailing stuff out, whether it's the U.S. Postal Service or UPS, there's no time like the present. Uh, I mean, those, those discounts are amazing. And of course, with the holidays coming up, like I mentioned at the top, no better time to get on this as well. So don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office. Sign up for Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. With our promo code, 3Martini, all spelled out, one word, 3Martini, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage, and a digital scale. There's also no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in all one word, 3Martini. That's stamps.com, enter 3Martini. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. All right, Jim, let's talk about our really bad martini. Philadelphia, this is from the Associated Press. Police shot and killed a 27-year-old black man on a Philadelphia street after yelling at him to drop his knife, sparking violent protests that police said injured 30 officers and led to dozens of arrests. The shooting occurred before 4 p.m. Monday as officers responded to a report of a person with a weapon, police spokesperson Tanya Little said. Officers were called to the Cobbs Creek neighborhood and encountered the man, later identified as Walter Wallace, who was holding a knife. Officers ordered Wallace to drop the knife, but he instead advanced toward them, Little said. Both officers then fired several times. Wallace was hit in the shoulder and chest. One of the officers then put him in a police vehicle and drove him to a hospital where he was pronounced dead a short time later. Hundreds of people took to the streets to protest the shooting late Monday into early Tuesday, with interactions between protesters and police turning violent at times. Uh, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer, video showed many yelling at officers and crying. Police cars and dumpsters were set on fire as police struggled to contain the crowds. More than a dozen officers, many with batons in hand, formed a line as they ran down 52nd Street, chasing protesters away from the main thoroughfare. The crowd largely dispersed then, but 30 officers hurt, 12 sent to the hospital, a female officer run over by a truck. And uh, Jim, the uh, protests we're hearing from the folks in Black Lives Matter and elsewhere is that, yeah, he had a knife. Yeah, he was moving towards officers, but it was only 10 feet away. So it was totally unwarranted. I don't think most people are going to agree with that. No, you know, hearing that story, Greg, I'm reminded of how much we've heard in the last couple of years about norms, right? These are things that are not written down in law, but things that are the usual. They are typical. They are standards of behavior. They are things that you are expected of you, even though legally you're not required to do that. And, you know, I was a journalism major. Um, one of the things they beat into your head, you know, who, what, when, where, and why, and you had to get it right. They would mark you down a lot if you misspelled a name because to that person, the spelling of their name matters, right? To you, it's just, you know, a, a minor typo, but it has big consequences for the person you write about. Um, you know, the, there have been extremely high-profile examples of this. When you know, the Washington Post had to give up a Pulitzer about a series about an eight-year-old drug addict written by Janet Cook, who was 26 years old at the time. 
Uh, and it turns out that the, you know, the tale of Jimmy, the precocious child with needle marks freckling the baby smooth skin of his thin brown arms was entirely made up. It was the first time in 64 years the Pulitzer had been repealed. That, you know, why did they do that? Why did the Pulitzer Committee say, well, this is really, people loved this story. It was, it got, you know, talked about um, addiction and how terrible it is and, and children who are in desperate circumstances. And it mattered that it was true. But even if it illustrated some greater point, or even if Janet Cook had the best of intentions, it didn't matter because you can't report things that aren't true. And if you don't know, you're obligated to tell your television audience or your radio audience or your newspaper or magazine readership that you don't know. You don't have to know everything. Although, honestly, if you don't know some basic facts of the story, you shouldn't go forward with it. You should, you should not report things until you've got things nailed down. In an environment such as this, everybody knows the consequences of reporting cops have shot an unarmed black man. In fact, as we're seeing, there's still some pretty serious consequences where cops have shot an armed black man. Well, we saw this earlier in the year. I want to say it was Minneapolis again. A gentleman had killed himself, uh, and the word had gotten out that this was a, another case of the cops shooting an unarmed man and immediately looting again, again in downtown Minneapolis. You know, you, you have a responsibility. And the old, old media system had some glaring problems. But one of the things, one of the advantages of what used to be the traditional process of training journalists, which was not just going to college and majoring in journalism, but was also spending time generally as that cub reporter, that Jimmy Olsen type role, where you had some editor and that, and fact checkers, they keep being told us that legacy media has these layers and layers of fact checkers. Um, God help you if you have a... Uh, uh, Stephen Glass and the head of your fact-checking department is also the person who likes making things up. But the idea is that the, you, know, you, you would not be able to say the police have shot an armed man until it was proven, until it was clear. Because if you report that and it's not true, then the consequences could be dire. The consequences could be violent, as we saw last year. Social media has democratized the traditional power of media. Now you don't have to wait for the Washington Post to come out with the newspaper the next day. You don't have to wait for the 11 o'clock newscast on your local stations. You don't have to wait for CNN or MSNBC or Fox News. Your phone might light up with this, hey, this has happened. An old saying, you know, a lie can get halfway around the world before the truth can get its boots on. That, that's what happened here. And people are already primed to certain narratives. And people who want to believe that certain narratives are true that not only do sometimes in certain, you know, that cop shootings of unarmed men are not really rare, but that it happens all the time. And it's driven by racism and it is a epidemic going on. That is a sort of, or people already primed to accept it, to believe it and to share it further. And that's how you end up with enormously destructive circumstances like the ones we saw last night, Greg. It is a bad one, but it is also a demonstration of how the process of gathering news and telling people what is going on has been taken over by people who are, at their most fundamental core, irresponsible. Hi, I'm Sarah Carter. On every edition of the Sarah Carter Podcast, I say we're taking back the story, and that's exactly what we have to do. Whether it's the Russia hoax, the relentless attacks on President Trump pretending Antifa doesn't exist, or covering up for the repressive Chinese government, the mainstream media isn't interested in the truth. It's up to us to uncover the truth and share it with others. Please join me in taking back the story on the Sarah Carter podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim, let's move on to our crazy martini, and that's back to the Supreme Court uh, confirmation. All the Democrats, as we mentioned, in the United States Senate voting against the Barrett nomination for a 
whole variety of reasons. Some actually invoked Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dying wish that uh, she, it was her fervent wish that the next president uh, nominate her replacement. That's not how the Constitution works. Uh, then there were plenty of other arguments about how, like you said in the opening, Martini, well, this was Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat, and this is someone who would go in the opposite direction. That's also not how the Constitution works. But uh, Ed Mackey, uh, Democrat from Massachusetts, up for re-election earlier this year. We were kind of happy that, uh, not that he won, but that uh, Joe Kennedy, uh, searching uh, for another Kennedy advancement, got beat in the primary. Might need to rethink that one at least a little bit, uh, Jim. Not sure that Kennedy would be a whole lot different on this issue. But Ed Markey uh, perhaps went most radical in the Senate yesterday. We got two clips from his floor speech. First of all, uh, a lot of conservatives, of course, like the idea that Amy Coney Barrett considers herself an originalist in the mode of Scalia and Thomas. And well, that's not just conservative, Jim. You guessed it. It's racist. Originalism is just a fancy word for discrimination. It has become a hazy smokescreen for judicial activism by so-called conservatives to achieve from the bench what they cannot accomplish through the ballot box. The activists, originalists, judges on the Supreme Court and lawyers in its legal community are poised to repeal the Affordable Care Act, deny reproductive freedom, and repeal same-sex marriage. They will welcome a Justice Barrett and a six to three conservative majority with open arms. Then there's also the issue, of course, that came up over and over and over again in the confirmation hearings, and that's that they're worried that Amy Coney Barrett might rule a way they don't like on the Obamacare case decision, that oral argument's coming up uh, in just a couple of weeks here in November. And so Ed Markey decided that because of different things that President Trump has said and tweeted recently, uh, that Amy Coney Barrett uh, would have to recuse herself or should recuse herself from cases related to the election or the ACA. President Trump himself put Judge Barrett's impartiality at issue when he confessed that he needed Judge Barrett on the Supreme Court to decide any election disputes. He did it when he said he'd only appoint a justice that would vote to overturn the health care law. It's becoming clear that we have a binary choice. We can have the ACA or we can have ACB, but we can't have both. And uh, Jim uh, mentioned AOC. She not only uh, said that uh, the Democrats have to play hardball, she immediately said expand the court. Ilhan Omar said the same. I think the craziest tweet I saw, and perhaps at least in some sectors of the, of the left, the most honest comes from the Gravel Institute, I assume named after Mike Gravel, that uh, uh, great uh, senator from Alaska back in the 60s and 70s. What if, hear us out, the Constitution sucks and is wrong about everything and shouldn't be the basis for running a society in the 21st century? So, Jim, uh, again, I think there's a lot of folks on the left who would agree with that but might not actually put it so succinctly what do you make of the left's reaction here? You know, Greg, every day I talk to you, I end up learning something. And one of the things that I've learned today is that Mike Gravel is still alive. <laughs> he is 90 years old. He was born in the year 1930. And as of this recording, he is alive and kicking. So, you know, whatever else you think of Mike Gravel and his habits of throwing rocks into ponds on YouTube videos and simply staring at you in an uncomfortable way and vaguely evokes a serial killer. Hey, you know what? Good for you, Mike Grapple. I'm glad you're still, still around and kicking. That having been said, no, the Constitution is not wrong about everything. It's not the cause of everything's wrong in society. And in fact, I seem to recall that to be a senator, you have to take an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution, which you apparently like have no problem breaking. You, you, you know, 
Like, I'm always kind of struck by this, Greg, because you see people who are, if you're sufficiently anti-constitutionalist, aren't you, you really should be ineligible for any public office because the first thing you do is that you have to put your hand on a Bible or a Torah or a Koran or the collected works of L. Ron Hubbard, whatever it is that matters to you the most. You put your hand on it, you raise your hand, you say, you'll preserve, protect, and defend that Constitution. Believing that the Constitution is pretty good as it is. It's okay to want amendments. Everybody, almost everybody in, in, in the United States can think of at least one constitutional amendment they'd like to have. Nobody's saying you have to believe the Constitution is perfect. You simply have to recognize its authority, and you have to recognize that it's generally pretty good. There are certain concepts in there we wouldn't want to mess with at all, like separation of powers, uh, elections, and you know, an independent judiciary, things like that. Those are, those are actually really important to the way our government functions and what makes our country the way it is. Um, but if you want to tweak it here, you want to tweak it there, fine, go right ahead. The constitutional amendment process is long and complicated and requires a wide consensus, and it's meant to be that way. You're not supposed to be able to change the Constitution on a whim. And just as you're not supposed to be able to change the text of the Constitution on a whim, you shouldn't be able to change the meaning of the text of the Constitution on a whim. In the last couple of weeks, Greg, we have seen some utterly asinine attempts to redefine originalism that, well, if you're really a consistent originalist, you'll never use penicillin. Yeah, the idea that you know, you, you're trapped in amber sometime in 1776 or 1789, and that you must reject absolutely everything that has occurred uh, since that time. That's not what originalism is. Originalism is interpretation of the Constitution that aims to follow how it would have been understood or was intended to be understood at the time it was written. Now, you can say we don't have perfect clairvoyance to the Founding Fathers. There are certain things we have to look back, we have to study, we have to look at precedent, we have to say, okay, what was this meant? But it, it's hard, and the reason I think of myself as an originalist, and the reason I suspect many conservatives think of themselves as originalists, has nothing to do with the, the Affordable Care Act, or even Roe versus Wade, or, or any of this kind of stuff. The reason we think of ourselves as, a, as an originalist is that we basically believe the Constitution said X yesterday. Well, then it says X today, or correction, if it said X and it is interpreted to mean X today, then it means that tomorrow you cannot read it as X and then say it to mean Y. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, God, God rest her soul, believed that there was a living constitution, that the constitution grew and changed and evolved over time. And here's the thing, the constitution changes through the process of amendments. It doesn't grow and change over time based on the thinking of who happens to be on the Supreme Court. That's where it gets dangerous. That's where the constitution can mean well, just about anything. You can see the emanation of a penumbra, to use one particular term, uh, to justify a ruling in a particular direction. That's where you end up with chaos. That's where you end up with a system in which the law can change very quickly based on the whims of five people on the Supreme Court instead of building a broader consensus. Uh, that's, that's what we know. And here's the thing. If you want to change the Constitution, the process exists. And yes, it's hard. Yes, it's long. Yes, it's complicated. Yes, because the founding fathers recognize that if you're going to mess with any of this stuff, as Kevin Williamson said, the Bill of Rights are all the stuff in the Constitution that is just too important for all you idiots to vote on. Because if we put up the First Amendment to a national referendum, it might pass, it might not. Second Amendment might, might not. All kinds of parts of our Constitution might or might not pass, depending on how the public feels on any given day. The Founding Fathers were wise enough to recognize certain things are too important to be left to the will of the people. It sounds really weird, but it's genuinely there. So that if you're going to actually change something significant and substantive about how our government operates, 
you're going to have to build the consensus through the amendment process. That's at the heart of all this stuff. And so um, when you see this from AOC or from Markey or any of these guys, one, I, I think they actually know what originalism actually means. No one is saying that Amy Comey Barrett should dress like she's in the 1700s. Um, you know, the, 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 this is a deliberate misunderstanding. This is meant to mislead others. But in the case of AOC, Greg, I don't know if she really knows this. No, she might not. She might not. She's probably just going by something else she saw on Twitter. Uh, but Jim, in the morning jolt today, you also uh, 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 lay out in considerable detail how back uh, several years ago, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had the opportunity to retire. Obama tried to gently coax her to do it. She didn't do it. And as, as she got closer to the Obama, uh, the end of the Obama term, I, th I believe she wanted Hillary to be able to uh, name her replacement. Obviously, that didn't happen. And so, as you point out, if there's somebody to blame, if you're on the left, for why this seat ended up in uh, what would appear to be a conservative uh, justice, uh, it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg who had the chance to make that happen and didn't. Yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion that in a few years, when the, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg isn't quite so fresh in the minds of liberals, there may be some reevaluation of her record. And I think it may become emotionally safe to express anger at her for not retiring. Uh, look, Bill Clinton appointed her by July 2013. She already had a distinguished record on the court. She'd been there a while. And, you know, there was this, it didn't come out until much later, but Obama had lunch with her in July 2013. And in Obama's words, he gently nudged her. Um, now, here, I, what I imagine in, in today's Morning Jolt is what if he'd been very direct? What if he'd said, look, my party is going to get thrashed in the midterms. We're going to lose the Senate. And I'm not going to be able to appoint somebody who's going to be like-minded to, to replace you. Um, and the Senate is probably not going to confirm somebody who's like you to replace you. So if you want to be replaced by somebody who's like you, if you really care about preserving our mutual vision for America, you got to retire either 2013, 2014. So I just kind of think through how would things shake out from there? Um, I picked Diane Wood as the replacement one. Uh, she's a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals Seventh Circuit. She'd be the runner-up to Elena Kagan. And, you know, with a Democrat-controlled Senate, there's no reason to think that the vote would be all that different than it had been for Elena Kagan. Oh, probably 60-some senators voting yes, and, you know, 30-some to 40 voting no. You know, and then Ruth Bader Ginsburg would go and enjoy her retirement. Uh, yeah, I don't think uh, Diane Wood or any other justice appointed by Obama would vote significantly different. Um, you assume that the Scalia's death and the Merrick Garland fight would shake out pretty much the way it would. Uh, you, you figure, you know, Trump still wins the election. He still replaces him with Neil Gorsuch. The only, the only two differences in that scenario is that, one, I don't think Ruth Bader Ginsburg turns into the pop culture phenomenon that she turned into. I think her age and I think liberal fears that she would die and be replaced by someone who's not like-minded very much was uh, a driving force between public interest in her. Um, she was, a, you know, she was liberal America's Sophia Petrillo, the, the feisty old lady who... <laughs> Uh, everybody kind of loved. Um, and then, the, you know, so then, the, so obviously one is that she wouldn't, she'd be, you know, obviously well-remembered and fondly remembered in legal circles, but she would not, you wouldn't see the Ruth Bader Ginsburg action figures and board games and earrings and the paraphernalia and all that. And of course, the second one is that if she passed away in September of this year, she would be a retired justice, not a current justice, and we would not have had this Supreme Court fight, and Amy Coney Barrett would not have been on be on the Supreme Court. That's how it all shakes out. And I think right now, because she was such a beloved figure, and because so many on the left, do, you know, she just passed away, you don't want to speak ill of the dead. 
I think a lot of liberal Democrats are suppressing a lot of anger at RBG for not taking that opportunity to retire in 2013 or 2014. And this is how it shakes out. And this is, you know, in a very strange way, if this really does turn out to be a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court, I'm not so sure it's going to shake out exactly the way they think. Um, but if it really does shake out that way, in an extremely odd way, Greg, we have Ruth Bader Ginsburg to thank for this. So just like we have Harry Reid to thank for, you know, not having to worry about the filibuster. Right, exactly. I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. Man, we've covered the gamut on the three martini lunch today. You come for the cogent political analysis, you stay for the Golden Girls references. Well done, Jim. <laughs> Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. One more week. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And uh, don't forget about our wonderful sponsors over at stamps.com. Also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. We love to see your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. We're extraordinarily grateful for those. Also, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and please join us again on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.